Thank you so much for joining us on today's special edition of the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm going to be sitting down with Jeff Morgan from Jews for Jesus and also the wildly popular and pretty new but yet still popular YouTube channel, So Be It, where Jeff actually goes out to the streets of Jerusalem and other places in Israel and actually shares with people that Jesus is really the Messiah promised in the scriptures. And you're going to be hearing a testimony of someone who was born into a secular Jewish household who eventually went into the new age until ultimately finding the Lord Jesus Christ with the help of being at the gym. The Good Fight Radio Show. Praise God. I am so excited to welcome Jeff Morgan from not only Jews for Jesus, but also your YouTube channel, So Be It. I mean, I I got to hear your testimony on there. We're going to put a link in the description for it as well. But we are just so excited to have Jeff Morgan from Jews for Jesus and your channel, So Be It. Thank you for joining the Good Fight Radio Show. Chad, my pleasure. It's great to be here. Well, I guess, you know, that's going to start us off right there. We want to ask the question because I know that now you, you're you working for Jews for Jesus, but that wasn't always the case. You weren't always uh, somebody who believed in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And so I would love to just get a little background where you where you were born, where how you came to know Jesus as your Savior. Great. Well, um First of all, thanks for having me here, and 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 I really love what you guys were doing. Just three minutes before I got on the show, I was still watching that video that you guys put out. What's it called? Uh, the celebrity video, the devil doesn't want you to see. It's so well done, and I was like so captivated. I'm like, oh no, I got to get off so I can do this, this uh, <laughs> interview. Um, but thank you for having me here. Um, it's, I grew up in uh, and was born and raised in California, where you are right now. I kind of miss it out there. I'm in uh, Tel Aviv, Israel, right now. And uh, I was born into a, a Jewish home. Uh, we weren't a religious family, but we were uh, cultural Jews. Uh, we observed a lot of the traditional uh, Jewish cultural events, such as uh, Hanukkah, um, Passover, the Feast of Booths, um, you know, you name it, Yom Kippur, Ro- uh, Ro- Rosh Hashanah, which is the, the, the Jewish New Year, and so forth. And I went to Jewish summer camp. I wrapped phylacteries, which we call in Hebrew tefillin. And, um, you know, put the yarmulke on when we went to temple and had my bar mitzvah at age 13. And really, it was just a typical, normal American Jewish life. Um, so my family, we, we weren't religious, but uh, our Jewish identity was really important. So as a, as a youngster, we would go to temple. And it was odd because I didn't really like going to temple or synagogue. Uh, but I knew at an early age that God existed. I knew that it was a, that God was a real uh, entity and that I could talk to him. Um, now my, my parents were, were, I would say agnostic. And so we never talked about God in the home, but I I remember sitting in my room and just closing my eyes and just imagining a different world, talking to someone. And over time, because we didn't really have any strong, um, godly foundations in the home, I found myself wandering off into, um, mystical and occult things. Even at a young age, even at the age of uh, 11, 12, 13, I was doing Ouija boards and trying to reach the spirits so that I could talk to them. So this was something that I felt pulling me as a youngster, um, wanting to get in touch with the spiritual realm. Um, So moving on, 
um, I was kind of dis, I guess, disillusioned with religious Judaism because I found a lot of hypocrisy. Now, there's a lot of beautiful things in Judaism, and I have the great I have great respect for my religious Jewish brothers and sisters because they have such a zeal for uh, getting to know God and doing His commandments. Um, but I just felt like you know we're we're in synagogue and we're reciting. Uh, prayers that we don't really understand because they're in Hebrew and we're just kind of going along with emotions and this is what people do as Jews and I, it just felt empty and dry and so I left uh, home I went to college and you know like you I, I was watching your testimony just kind of just got into just wayward lifestyle was never really heavy into alcohol and drugs but but boy I just you know I was a serial dater and I just thought that we're supposed to live to please our nerve endings and and this is what life is about and if we get a good job then then cool um and so going through college that's kind of just how i lived and um it you know is the cocoon of college is, is is really deceiving because you know everything's taken care of you have a schedule and once i got onto the real world i was really super insecure so i'm i i was also very talented as well i did gymnastics i was a singer dancer songwriter so i said hey i'm gonna get, i'm gonna uh, try my luck in L.A., um, you know, the, the city of angels. And I was thinking this morning, I'm like, they should really call it the city of devils. And <clears throat> I was I was down in Los Angeles and really exposed to to everything. And I, I quickly realized that I had what it took with regards to talent to make it. But I didn't have what it took with regards to, wow, kind of just selling my soul. I wasn't ready to just do whatever it took to make it. And sitting in L.A., in these really harmful relationships, I just felt like I had nowhere to go. And I felt just like I had really nothing to live for. And I didn't have any really social skills or uh, work ethic. And so I thought, wow, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to dive into new age spirituality because if I can't be famous and get accolades, because I was bullied as a kid as well. Number one, for be doing dancing and gymnastics. Um, and number two, for being Jewish, and I, I couldn't figure that out. I couldn't. I, I couldn't understand why people hated me because I was Jewish, and you know, I, I came to find out later. But so I had a lot of talent and skill, but I, I wasn't going to use it. Uh, I wasn't going to be able to really make it, and I and I and I knew it. And so I um, I decided I wanted to go into New Age spirituality, meditation, really deep dive. I mean, I I, I was doing hour and a half mantra meditations every day. I was speaking in languages that I didn't even know, uh, trying to invoke spirits, trying to invoke favor, just like I was when I was younger. It was just a more adult version of it, which was even more dangerous. And so um, as this is going on, I felt really empowered, which I think the, the, the adversary does really well. When you start to get into something that is of, on, his, on his grounds, in his world, you feel empowered. So that you keep going and so that's what i was doing i was really you know seeking to go deep i said if people aren't going to admire me because i'm famous people are going to admire me because i'm so spiritual and chad i'll tell you i became so arrogant but i mixed that with my um which with my um uh insecurity and you know when you mix arrogance and insecurity, you get really bad behavior, bad reactions, bad communication, bad relationships. And that's just what continued to happen to me. So the more I, I got into this spirituality, I followed a spiritual guru, I started to feel tormented. I started to feel like some spirit had its hold on me. 
it was guiding me, directing me, talking to me, and I couldn't shake it. I thought, okay, this is what I've been working towards. I'm, I'm, I finally connected with my spirit guide. And um, to, the, to, to the point of the video that you guys put out that was so, uh, so well done, uh, with the celebrities and everything, I felt like I was doing a similar thing. I was practicing all these things, getting in touch with another dimension. And every so often, you know, that he would dangle the carrot and I would grab it and I would, I would do something that I found that was successful and I would get this high and then it would drop off and then I'd be depressed for about six months to a year and then something else would click. I'd get some sort of gig or some sort of something, some sort of success would happen and then it would stop. And I just went in through this cycle of highs and lows and highs and lows. Um, God had the grace to give me an amazing wife that actually started to chill me out and stabilize me, although I was trying to get her into my new age spiritual occult practices because I thought I knew everything. I thought that my way was the right way. And so she was like not really having it. We started to have children and I thought, wow, maybe I can get them to start meditating. And we had two boys at the time and uh, we have three now. And um, what I didn't realize was that everybody looking in could see the shallowness and the hollowness of my philosophy and my religion that I created for myself. But I couldn't see it. I thought I was way above everybody else. And so I was trying to get people to do what I did and they just weren't having it. And so time goes on. I'm feeling tormented. I'm feeling guided, led, but I, I couldn't shake this, this feeling that I had over me because over time it started to get dark. It started to get scary. I started to have out, outer body experiences where I'd be in my bed and I would come up out of my body and I'd float away and I would actually see this happening and I would come back and go back into my body. And I thought, man, I'm so powerful. And uh, as, as the years go on, you know, 10 years into my marriage with two boys, all of a sudden I, I just hit rock bottom and I said, wow, 20 years of meditation, 20 years of new age spirituality, of creating my own uh, religion. And I'm fearful now and depressed and anxious. And I have these suicidal thoughts and I don't know where they're coming from. I'm 40, in my mid forties and I'm like, this is, this is as good as it gets. And I couldn't shake this, this feeling that I had over me. So I was laying on the floor one day, just, I mean, wailing. Like, you know, when you're, you're I have a three-year-old and he wails. Like, I mean, you know, you take something from him that, you know, a, a, his favorite toy or a lollipop or something like that. And he's wailing, kicking and screaming. And, and that's what I was doing. I was laying on the floor in my wife's arms and I'm, I'm just bawling. And I look up at her and I said, I, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry that I have nothing to offer you guys. I have nothing to pass down to our, our children. I'm a failure. I brought you into debt. I'm depressed. And I, I was getting isolated from my family. So they didn't want to be around me. And my wife was finding it harder and harder to live with me. And I said, wow, I, I, I have no idea what I'm doing anymore. I have no idea. Now, mind you that my Judaism never came to mind. I just kind of disassociated with anything Jewish. And I just was apologizing. Basically, I became repentant to my wife. And I said, honey, I'm, I'm so sorry. And she looks at me because I'm crying. I'm just bawling. And she says, please don't do anything to yourself. And I paused for dramatic you know, purposes. And I said, I won't because I'm not that selfish. I didn't want to do that to them, but I, I wanted to die. 
because there, there was nothing left. And so I started roaming around just numb. I was in the gym one day, picking up the weights, throwing them down, cussing, vulgar language, angry, resentful, negative. And I turn around and there's a couple of guys on the other side of the gym. And I thought, for some reason, I, I need to meet these guys. There's a hundred people in the gym and there's two guys that I, I, I wanted to meet. So I turn around to put the weights down. And one of those guys comes over to me, really tall guy, six foot two, six foot three. Um, he comes over, he says, what do you eat? <laughs> and I said, you don't want to know what I eat because I was training really hard. I was like, you know, really muscular at the time and really lean. And he said, you what? What do you eat? Uh, burgers and pizza and whatever you want. I said, no, I, I eat a plant-based diet. I was eating a plant-based diet at the time. And I was really lean and, and muscular. I was preparing for a bodybuilding competition. It was like my last hurrah before I took myself out. And um, we started talking about health and fitness and, and, and diet. And I asked him, what do you do, by the way? And he said, I'm a pastor. And as soon as he said that, Chad, I was like, really? I don't know what it was, but it was something pushed out of me. I know what it was now. The Spirit of God pushed through me and said, really? And my interest was, was, was captivated. I, I said, tell me about your job. Tell me about church. And all these questions just started to pour out. He'd give me this very, these very short, concise answers, biblical answers. And I, and I would walk away and I would lift weights and I'd, I'd run back to him and ask him another question. This kind of kept going. And then I go to the other guy who's across the, uh, the other side of the gym dark black skin, bright white teeth, the fittest guy in the gym, about 62 years old. I mean, he was electrifying, but he was the guy that everybody would walk around. He was, he did these weird workouts, punching the sky, kicking his legs in the air, upside down pull-ups. And he would jump down and like punch, you know, shadow boxing and people would walk around him. But I, I looked at him and I said, he has something that I don't, I want to go meet him. So I went up to the guy, put my hand out and he takes my hand, puts his hand on my shoulder. And he says, wow, can you give me some of that, th those shoulders? And I said, no, 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 you need to give me some of what you have. And he had life. And I wanted to die. And so he said, can I pray for you? And I said, what do I have to lose? And so he prayed for me. It was a little bit odd because we're here we are, two grown men in the middle of a gym, and we're praying with our heads down, his hands on my shoulder. And at the end of the prayer, he says, in Jesus' name. And I'm a Jew, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, this is kind of weird. But I said, what do I have to lose again? Amen. Amen. Day after day, I come back to the gym. I'm talking to the pastor whose name just happens to be Chris Cross, not the singer, and this other gentleman named Edgar. And I kept going back to him for prayer. And every time he said in Jesus' name, I said, amen. And I started to feel like I was coming back to life. Chris Cross invites me to a men's study at the church. And I said, okay, I've never been to a church really, but I'll come anyway. I go to the church that day. And they just so happened to be teaching on the transfiguration of Jesus, Matthew 17, where Jesus goes up onto the mountain. And lo and behold, he's there with none other than Moses and Elijah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wait a second, I know these names. What are these guys doing on this side of the book? And so I'm, I'm listening to Moses and Elijah and what, 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 and God comes over and, and he 
and he comes out of the, the voice comes out of the cloud. Moses and Elijah are gone. The God, the, the voice comes out of the cloud directed towards the disciples. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And as soon as the pastor said, listen to him, my heart blew wide open. And I knew that that was the truth, that Jesus was the one that I had to listen to. I knew it without a doubt. I'd been listening to Buddha, other spiritual teachers. I've been reading self-help books for 20 years. And when God said, listen to him, and I heard those words, I knew it was true. I ran home to my wife and I said, honey, this is it. Jesus is the one. It's him we need to listen to. But I have a problem. I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do? I still feel tormented. Are we supposed to get on our knees? Listen, I mean, mind you, we had no context for Jesus. None. No context. You know, we'd heard about him from Christians, you know, growing up. But as a Jew, no context. No New Testament. And to be fair, no Old Testament either. I really didn't get into our even our scriptures, which is very common for most Jewish people. And I said, but I'm tormented. I don't know what to do. This, this spirit has got its grip on me, and I don't know what to do about it. And she said, well, I wasn't going to say anything, but last night I had a dream. And I was, I was running through this school with, the, with a group of kids, and they were running away from something. And this one kid branches off, goes into a room by himself, and I wanted to see where he was going. So I open the door, I look inside, and there's this young boy in there trembling with fear, and there's a demon over him tormenting him. And I woke up. And I thought, that's weird. I've had weird dreams before. I'm not going to say anything about it. But for some reason, I feel like I needed to tell you. And her eyes got big. She points her finger right at me and she says, that boy was you. You're being tormented. And you've been tormented all of these years. And you should know my wife. She's petite. She's soft. She's sweet. She's Israeli. She doesn't know. She doesn't talk about demons. She said, those were demons. And that spiritual teacher that you were following, he was tormented by a demon and possessed by a demon. And I said, and I said, I know that to be true as well. And those two moments came together where I knew Jesus was the one. And I knew that I was being tormented by a demon. And at that moment, everything that I'd been carrying with me, my depression, my fear, my anxiety, the weight that I was carrying, the spiritual thoughts fell off of me tangibly. And so tangibly that my hands flew up in the sky and I said, I'm free. I'm free. Why would I say that? Why would I say that I'm free? I'm a Jewish guy with no context of Jesus. I didn't know what Jesus was supposed to do to me. But I knew, <laughs> I knew that I was free. And at that moment, my wife and I both dropped to our knees and we gave our lives to Jesus. And I said, you put me to work for you because I've been searching for you for 20 years and I didn't know it was you. And now that I know, I have nothing else to do but work for you. Put me to work for you. I want to talk about you. I want to talk to my Jewish people about you because you're real. And the, and the promises of God towards the Jewish people are real. I mean, look at Paul. Look at me. An unsuspecting Jewish guy is visited by Jesus. And I had these experiences that were related to Jesus for about a month and a half before I gave my life to him that were so powerful. And I was weeping tears of joy, feeling myself coming back to life. Unsuspecting Jewish guy met Jesus and I was freed and I hadn't even opened the New Testament yet.
And so I said to myself, that's it. Put me to work for you. A year later, I was working with Jews for Jesus, sharing the gospel with the Jewish people. We, this all happened, Chad, in California. <laughs> I met my wife. We had our first two kids in Israel. We fly out to California for a, a last chance hope, uh, a last hope chance at happiness, which we didn't find. I went up. I wound up depressed again, and it was there that I met all these people and had these encounters with Jesus, put our faith in Jesus, and then all of a sudden we get this overwhelming feeling that we need to be back in Israel. And I went, "Uh oh, I know what that means." And I was like, "Lord, please don't make me that guy." Please don't make me that guy that goes on the streets of Israel and talks to people about Jesus because I wanted to be liked. You know, I'm, 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 you know, it's like I want to be liked. I want to be loved. But I said, but you know what? I don't care. I know that you can give me the strength after what you did to me. That you changed my mind. You changed my heart. You took the filth out of my mouth. Couldn't swear anymore. Couldn't lust anymore. Flirt with other women. Now, I mean, I'm a man. I have red blood in my body. But I have such self-control that I never had before. It's amazing, you know. And so I was changed completely. I had this passion to read the scriptures that I never had before. The Old Testament became clear. The New Testament was a breath of, of life and fresh air. And I was like, what is this amazing, this amazing uh, 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 chronological book that from beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation is so seamless and beautiful, written over the course of 1,500 years by so many different authors in different regions and locations, and yet it's so seamless. Wow. My eyes were open. My heart was open. I was a completely changed human being. I come to Israel. It took me about a year, but I had this idea. I said, hey, I want to do a experimental ministry project. I want to bring a camera. I want to go on the streets of Israel. And I want to have conversations with people about life, about spirituality, and I want to introduce them to the real Jesus. And that's what happened with So Be It. And, and you know, praise the Lord. You know, we were up on online for about six months. We had about 2,500 followers. And then God just said, let's go. And we went from 2,500 to 100,000 in like two months. And we were just blown away. And I'm like, wow, okay. Something's going on here. Let's just keep rocking and rolling. Let's just keep sharing uh, Jesus with our Jewish people. And people have been loving it. I absolutely love it as well. And since I've had your testimony sent to me, I have been watching video after video. And and guys, if you haven't checked it out, please go subscribe right now. If you're on Good Fight Ministries, we love that you're here. But go subscribe to the channel. So be it. You, you will not. You will not be disappointed <laughs> because there are so many just when you open up and start speaking to people, the gentleness by which you express the gospel to people is such, it's so beautiful to me. And and I want to say this from my own personal testimony was uh, my, I was taken out and discipled out on the streets of Santa Monica. And uh, I was taken out there by Pastor Joe Schimmel. And mm -hmm. that was actually where I met who would eventually be my wife, which is his daughter as well. I mean, I met her before, but that's where I got to know her. But I remember watching her, and it'll be a distinct memory forever, and it's why I love, to, to this day, sharing the gospel with my Jewish neighbors. I absolutely love doing it, because I watched this young girl at the time, I think she was 20, and I was 21. I had been saved maybe eight, nine months at the time, and I watched her share through Isaiah 52 and 53 with a Jewish person, the, right. the, the Messiah, and what the Messiah would go through. And I was just, I mean, honestly, I was flabbergasted. I was like, 
I was like, wow. And in my mind, I thought I was such a dirtbag before I came to Christ. There's no <laughs> way that I'm going to be anything other than single. And I had no problem with that. I just thought this is where this is my lot. And I have no problem with it because I have Jesus now. Like you said, I'm free. You know, Jesus said, you'll be free indeed. And you were. And it was that. So I guess that kind of transitions me over to not only your channel, and I really want people, I, I can't express it anymore because we love going out on the streets. We love sharing the gospel on the streets. As I said, I was discipled that way. And to see you do it with such uh, gentleness and not only doing that, but expressing truth to them, I, I wanted to ask you a couple of different things regarding that because it's something you've been doing. I love that you have your your wife involved in your ministry. I think it's such an absolute blessing. And when I see on your channel, you sharing, I would love for people to know like, hey, maybe people get nervous about this. I, I don't know. Maybe they're going to bring something up, you know, about the oral Torah or, you know, something that I won't be able to express. So what are some of the obstacles maybe that are kind of in the way for our Jewish neighbors to know their Messiah, Yeshua? Uh, that's a great, great question. There's a there's a great sensitivity that needs to come from all people when speaking to Jewish people. I think what one of the things that we don't realize um, was the um, the anti-Semitism and persecution towards Jewish people by so-called Christians and Catholics uh, during the medieval times and even, even later than that, um, that turned people so far away from the other religion, not even considering Jesus as, as Jewish. And those that did, just basically um, kind of cast him off as someone that abandoned his Jewish people. Because, you know, obviously the New Testament is a recipe for anti-Semitism and, and how to kill Jewish people if that's what Christians were doing, but we know that it wasn't. And so there's this long-standing history of um, anti-Semitism towards Jewish people. And so when they think of Christianity, they think of it as the other religion. That's for them. Whether or not Jesus is Jewish, was Jewish, it doesn't matter because he came for them. Little did they know that if he's not for them, he's not for anyone. And so um, so there's a certain sensitivity that needs to come from people that are sharing with Jewish people. Um, many Jewish people, they don't read the scriptures. Uh, they don't read the Old Testament or the Tanakh. And so um, I think that's one thing that, that can be helpful is to really have a, a, a good grip on what the Tanakh or the Old Testament talks about with regards to the Messiah, the coming one, um, the one that is supposed to come like Isaiah 52 and 3 says to be the atonement for our sins and take on the punishment that we deserve. Um, and so um, if we know certain things within our Hebrew scriptures, and a lot of Jewish people have come to faith just by Isaiah 53 uh, alone. And, and I even, um, after coming to faith, just after I came, I started to read the, the Old Testament, and I got to Isaiah 53, and I ran to the gym, and I said, Chris, Chris, have you, have you, have you seen Isaiah 53, the, what the Jews call the forbidden chapter? And he looked at me, and he's like, yeah, yeah, of course I've seen it. And I said, this is amazing. He's right here in our own Hebrew scriptures. And so um, I think one, one of the reasons why people don't talk to other people is because they feel like they have to go right to the, right to the gospel right to the, the, the hard stuff. And I think what's most important is to connect with people on the ground level at their heart. When you walk up to someone and you introduce yourself to someone, obviously you have a motive. We all do. 
And our motive is for them to know Jesus and to, to give their lives to Jesus. But if we do it out of love and genuine genuineness for the people that we're speaking with and we empathize with them, uh, with what they might be going through, we get to know them a little bit throughout the conversation, then we can kind of get into deeper con uh, concepts. And so what I do on the streets is I, I walk right up to people and I say, hey, um, I have a, a, people are kind of enamored by the camera and the microphone. It seems to be more disarming than it is arming for people because for a stranger to come up to another stranger and say, hey, what's up? It's kind of odd. But if you have a camera and a microphone, for some reason, it actually makes me feel even more comfortable. And so I go up to people and I say, hey, uh, my name's Jeff. I have a, a, a Christian YouTube channel. I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus. And we uh, interview people here on the streets of Israel asking questions about faith, spirituality. And we sometimes we talk about Jesus. Can I interview you for our YouTube channel? And sometimes people say no. And we still have conversations with them off camera. And uh, sometimes people say yes. You know, we might get 10 no's before we get a yes. Or we might get 10 yeses and one no. It just depends on the day. And so um, I think that the sensitivity towards Jewish people they do, terms that are used like uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, a lot of Jewish people don't know what the word Christ means. And so they think it's either his last name or some uh, symbolic name that represents the cross or the Catholic Church. And so they kind of look at it as that word or the word Christ as kind of like almost like a curse word, almost like the enemy. They did this to us, the, the Christ followers. And so Little did Jewish people know that the word Christ or Christos in Greek is a translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means Messiah. So when someone's saying Jesus Christ, what they're actually saying is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. And so terms like Messiah, Mashiach, um, instead of church, because the Catholic Church comes to mind, and there's, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything against the Catholic Church. What I'm saying is, is, is the history and the um, what the associations with specific words. And so, um, you know, we might say congregation. We might say Messiah. Uh, you know, we don't want to say Virgin Mary because that just sounds so other otherworldly or other religion than, than Judaism. We might say Miriam, Jesus's mother, Yeshua's mother. You know, even, even Yeshua, people understand that that name means salvation. Um, most people know him as Jesus, actually. So a lot of people comment in the in the comments of my videos. They would say, "Why do why do you call him Yeshua? Uh, sorry, why do you call him Jesus when his name is Yeshua?" And I'm because more more Jews than not know him as Jesus. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily know him as Yeshua. And so I, I I enter his you know his name Yeshua later in the conversation. But just a sensitivity towards Jewish culture, a sensitivity towards terminology, and a sensitivity and empathy towards. Um, the anti-Semitism that took place by so-called Christians. And we know that the real Christians were the ones that were saving Jews. Amen to that. I mean, absolutely. And I really do like that because that gives a little different perspective because a lot of people would say, oh, just start the conversation with Yeshua and just start talking with them. But I like that you bring that out because there there is a colloquial way that we know, uh, even and obviously Jews know in Israel because you're interviewing them, uh, that his name is Jesus to us. And so bringing that in later, I really, I really like that. And, and I know from listening to your testimony before you said you, and you mentioned it today as well, that you started in, in Genesis and went through and started to, to, to see Jesus throughout yeah. the old Testament. 
And, you know, one of the things that I've heard you bring out in a number of your videos, and maybe for the audience that hasn't uh, studied this at length, you talk about Daniel chapter 9, and you specifically talk about the fact that, hey, like, you, the Messiah had to come before then. So why? what is the case that you are making to your, your Jewish friend on the street that you have met, and you're sharing the gospel with him, and you're talking about who the Messiah is, and you're pointing to the fact that, wait, according to Daniel chapter 9, he had to have come already. How are you making that case to them? Yeah, well, there's two, I think two, one of the two biggest um, arguments that I use for not only the fact of, of the timing of Jesus, but the, I, I want to use the word Trinity here because one of the biggest arguments I get against Jesus is, well, we believe in one God, not three. And so I'll get to that in a second. But with regards to Daniel 9, uh, chapters, uh, verses 24 through 27, it's, it's, it, it takes a study to actually really get through it. But once you get through it, it becomes really clear that, you know, the, the 70 weeks of years and, and so forth points to a timeline that is right around 30 AD, where the temple is supposed to be destroyed and the Messiah will be cut off from his people uh, as an atonement. And I point to that because they need to know that the, if, the, if the Messiah hasn't come yet, he, there is no Messiah because the destruction of the temple means the genealogy has been destroyed. The destruction of the temple means that biblical Judaism up to that point, which pointed towards a Messiah as a singular human uh, uh, you know, and divine, um, would have had to have come by. And, and so if this period has come and gone, then there's, there's no Messiah. And so, in, you know, so a lot of Jews will say, well, there's two Messiahs, you know, son of Joseph and son of David, one that's suffering and one that's ruling and conquering that will raise Joseph back from the dead. And what, what I say is, well, actually, there's one Messiah and two comings. The first time he's already come and to be the suffering uh, uh, servant and to die as an atonement, the, the, the perfect uh, uh, lamb for our sins. And um, the second time will be to rule and reign. And so that's a hard concept for them. But I also like to talk to uh, Jewish people about the concept of God as three in one. And that's really weird for Jewish people because they really stuck on the concept of Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now you can ask one what? Because the word one in Hebrew is echad. And the word one for, for the word echad is used to not only mean singular, but to also mean a group of things. So, uh, the, you know, Adam, the, the man and, and, and uh, wife will, will leave, the man will leave his hus uh, mother and father and cling to his wife, and they sh the two shall become one flesh. Same word that's used in our God is one. So we have two here becoming one. And so, what I like to point people towards are the times where God actually appears in human form, visibly, with feet to wash, eating food with Abraham, with Jacob, uh, um, with um, um, Gideon, and so forth throughout, um, especially through the book of Judges. But one of the things I like to point to the most is Genesis 18, where Abraham is actually um, speaking with three men, three people, and one of them he addresses as the Lord, not Lord, my Lord, the Lord, all caps, yud heh vav -Hey, tetragrammaton. And this is, if you look in the Hebrew, this is the ultimate name for God. Uh, and so here, here Abraham is speaking with 
with three men, one of them who he's bowing down to, prostrating to, worshiping, bringing them food to eat, washing their feet. They're eating food. And the three, um, two of them actually go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And when, uh, you, if you read further into Genesis 19, you read that the two, there's two now that have arrived at Sodom and Gomorrah because there's still one still with Abraham who is speaking in the first person as God and who Abraham is meeting with. And they're having this discussion about, you know, God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and so forth. And so you see God in physical form if you read the text plainly. And then there's account after account where the angel of the Lord is appearing, speaking in the first person of, of God, doing things that only God can do, you know, forgiving sins, um, um, you know, forgiving, wiping away iniquity, um, uh, healing and, and so forth, and um, destroying and, and, and bringing back to life, all these things that, the, that only God can do, the angel of the Lord is also doing. And so I'd like to point people in those things. It's a little bit deep for most people on the street, so I, don't, I usually don't go that deep. But those are some of the things, the two biggest uh, things I like to land on. One is um, Daniel uh, 9, 24 through 27, the time period by which the Messiah must come uh, before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, and um, the appearances of God in human form. I love that. Throughout, that, throughout the Old Testament, yeah. Amen. I love I love that because I think a lot of people don't don't realize just how much we can actually look at from the Old Testament or you know the Tanakh, as you said, uh, specifically, and point people to Jesus. I mean, over and over again, it's so it's so wonderful. And you know, we see yeah. Jesus do this also uh, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees when he's debating the Sadducees. He goes right back to Torah. Uh, what they would have accepted, right. and he still proves them wrong. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's, that's one of the biggest challenges of living here in Israel and, and uh, witnessing to Jewish people is that you really can't use the New Testament because it you know doesn't speak to them. You have to come from our own scriptures. I mean, so you know, uh, you look look at uh, Isaiah sixty three. You know, you'll see um, you know three here, three and one. You know, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, all caps, according to all that the Lord has granted us and His great goodness to the house of Israel, and so on and so forth. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely and become their savior. And he, he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. The angel of his presence saved and redeemed the things that God only does. And then, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. You have in a few, just a few verses, God, the angel of his presence, and the Holy Spirit. In the first verse of the Bible, Chad, <laughs> first two verses, you have God and you have his Holy Spirit. There's two. And all throughout the Old Testament, you have him, you have the Lord, you have the angel of the Lord, and you have his Holy Spirit. And so it's all there. You know, the Trinity, although it's a word that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, you can't find it in the Old or New Testament, the concept is totally Jewish and comes straight from our Old Testament. I love that. That is a great, a great soundbite there because it's true. Amen. And, uh, and brother, I you could literally talk to you all day about this, uh, but uh, we want to know also for people that are like, hey, man, I, I'm really learning some stuff and I do want to see people you know, get saved. I, I want to be praying for the Jewish people. I want to be praying for the priests of Jerusalem. I want to be sharing this way. How could I maybe share these videos and use them? What are some ways they could connect with you to say, hey, I want to I help this ministry, one, but also 
I want to be using the resources that you are out there doing to get more people to come to know Yeshua HaMashiach. Great. Well, I do. I, I do work for uh, Jews for Jesus. Uh, I, it's a wonderful, wonderful evangelistic Jewish nonprofit ministry. You have to be Jewish if you're a minister for God here. You have to be. It is a requirement. They have a board. I mean, it's it's like, you know, the the, the process of 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 coming to be a minister with Jews for Jesus. You know, they don't take it lightly, and you have to be Jewish. It's one of the biggest, um, um, I guess, criticisms that people like to to put out there against uh, Jews for Jesus is that oh, they're just Christians masquerading as Jews trying to steal Jewish souls, but actually, no, we are true, true and true Jewish people that that simply uh, raise awareness of Jesus as the Jewish Messiah and Savior of the world, and this is what we love doing. Um, so you can go to the Jews for Jesus website at JewsforJesus.org. They have amazing uh, articles there about prophecy about the timelines of, of Daniel, about when the Messiah must come. I mean, really, it's the, the resources there are very, very rich. So go to the articles on the Jews for Jesus website. Um, you can follow, you can subscribe, you can uh, you know subscribe to the newsletter. Um, obviously, you can follow the Soviet um, uh, YouTube channel. And also, I do interviews with Jewish believers in Jesus, conversations with Jewish believers in Jesus on the Jews for Jesus YouTube channel as well. So the Soviet YouTube channel is our street evangelism channel. The, the Jews for Jesus YouTube channel has its conversations with Jewish believers. Um, and you can go there and, and find those videos, resources. And you can also reach out to me. I have my uh, email in the Soviet um, descriptions of our videos. I love it, Jeff. And I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Good Fight Radio Show. It has been just a tremendous blessing, and I really hope people can share this, maybe with their Jewish friends, or just be encouraged that God is still seeking and saving the lost. So I want to thank you so much, Jeff, for joining us on the Good Fight Radio Show. My pleasure, Chad, and God bless you guys for everything that you're doing. God bless. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show with pastor and author Joe Schimmel and host Chad Davidson discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how they relate to family, culture, and the church. To learn more about Good Fight Ministries, visit us online at goodfight.org. Join our growing social media family and consider partnering with us at patreon.com slash goodfight.